Right now, we're going to continue our weekly conversation with Margaret Brennan, moderator for Face the Nation. As I mentioned in your newscast, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is arriving in Israel to meet with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The impression that I get is that the U.S. is urging that Israel shows restraint in the war against Hamas. So I asked Margaret about that. That's a word they can't say explicitly. Um, nor can the United States publicly criticize what Israel has done. Privately, they are. Uh, And it is interesting that the president's public comments the other day saying that he would like a pause in the fighting um, has given some political space to even moderate Democrats who are coming out now and saying that some of the actions taken by the Israeli military have gone a step too far. I'm thinking about Dick Durbin from Illinois, Jason Crow, Democrat from Colorado, Chris Murphy uh, from Connecticut, who are saying um, as friends and allies of Israel that they are concerned about what the Israeli military has done with the high civilian count, particularly among children. So the Secretary of State is going to be trying to thread a needle very carefully of continuing to say that Israel has a right to defend itself, that the horrors of October 7th cannot be repeated, but how the war is prosecuted is important. So we'll watch the space as he heads through the uh, surrounding parts of the region. Tomorrow he'll be in Amman, Jordan. Explain why the word restraint is so forbidden or why the U.S. has to be so careful when it comes to uh, Israel. This is a very emotional um, and heated issue at all times. And then, of course, after the horrific and disgusting terrorist attack that killed 1,400 Israelis on October the 7th, it has just um, inflamed it further. But um, when it comes to you know messaging this publicly, the United States and the Democratic president don't want to be seen as in any way um, – separating themselves or showing any daylight from the Israeli government, even though they do have differences with the Netanyahu-led government and how he has chosen to do this. For example, big issue of difference, President Biden continues to say a two-state solution is the alternative here that would offer Palestinian people dignity and the same rights to have water and freedom, um, and that that needs to be offered as an alternative to the death and destruction offered by Hamas. Meanwhile, the prime minister of Israel doesn't believe in a two-state solution, has not endorsed it. Um, and so uh, that, that is a pretty big difference, but you won't hear that difference underscored. Uh, there has been harsh criticism as well privately of the Netanyahu government, which was very extremist in its uh, makeup. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu putting into power some allies uh, who... Uh, have have said some things that even when it comes to, for example, the minister of security, Ben Gavir, he was deemed so extremist by the Israeli military that he wasn't allowed to serve in the IDF. Serving in the IDF is mm-hmm. required. So uh, there are some very real differences here. Um, but saying it publicly is uncomfortable, particularly in the wake of such a horrific attack where the United States wants to, to stand up against terrorism, but also stand for the Palestinian people. And, and that's one of the challenges that Antony Blinken is, is trying to deal with here. That's CBS. Uh, CBS's Margaret Brennan, moderator of Face the Nation. And with U.S. citizens slowly being let out of Gaza now, I asked Margaret for a progress report on that effort. This is 
going to be a gradual release is, is how the State Department has described it um, in Gaza Strip, just a 25 mile, completely densely populated area. There has been a challenge just over the past month in getting the U.S. citizens to be able to safely move to the south. Israel is telling people to go to the south, but there is still bombing happening there. Mm-hmm. Hamas is also blocking uh, movement uh, of Americans, according to uh, the, the Secretary of State. So this has been really complicated. And then Egypt is, has the gate opening on their side, and they have uh, talked about that the challenges security-wise that they see here. There is another gate that opens into Israel, but that's closed. Mm-hmm. So there are two ways out. Um, and the one that the Americans are being told to go to, Rafa Gate, is the one that enters into Egypt. So we should see more of this continue to, to happen over the coming days. But 5,000 foreign nationals are trapped there. Uh, about 1,000 of them include Americans and their family members. What aid, if any, has Congress approved for Israel? Well, Israel already is the largest recipient of U.S. foreign aid, and there's a really robust military and intelligence sharing. On top of that, President Biden has asked for $14 billion. That includes humanitarian aid, by the way, about $10 billion of that is military aid. Um, and so that currently is before Congress. In the House, they did pass a bill that is doomed in the Senate that will be vetoed by the president. So basically ignore it. Um, but that is uh, the same dollar amount, $14 billion dollars. But it only deals with Israel and the president, the Democratic leaders and the Republican leaders in the Senate want all the emergencies dealt with at once. And so they want to see one big bill that couples aid for Israel, aid for Ukraine, aid to help allies in Asia and aid to help the U.S. border. And that's $100 billion. And let's not forget, we have another war going on, Ukraine and Russia. And one of your guests this weekend is a Ukrainian ambassador who was recently in Kentucky, of all places. (laughs) Explain that one. Yes. uh, The ambassador from Ukraine, Oksana Markarova, frequent guest on Face the Nation, uh, is out there doing the hard work of helping to sell this to the American public and doing so at the invitation, by the way, of the Republican leader in the Senate, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who uh, is a very strong ally of President Biden. They have very different politics, but on this issue of aid to Ukraine, he is very strongly um, defending it, uh, including by taking on some of his fellow Republicans and saying this is all interlinked. Iran is helping Russia in Ukraine. Iran is helping Hamas in Israel get in here and help to defeat the Russian military. That's his argument. He made it two weeks ago on Face the Nation. He's also arguing that this massive aid bill would invest in the Pentagon to help build up its readiness and stockpiles here at home and thus help the industrial base. So it's an argument that um, needs to be sold, frankly, politically. And that's what the ambassador was doing alongside Mitch McConnell. I have to point out, refreshing to hear that a Republican, Mitch McConnell, and the president, a Democrat, are getting along, at least on this issue. It's it, it true. Um, and these days, though, there's so many inter-party disputes mm-hmm. that it's almost like the term Democrat and Republican don't apply anymore. It's it's which flavor of that are you? Um, because there's so much infighting. And to that point, uh, we have a panel this week of two lawmakers, a Democrat and Republican sitting down with each other mm-hmm. to talk about this hyper-partisanship that they're seeing within their parties and then across the aisle. It's the four-country caucus. Tony Gonzalez, Republican from Texas, Navy vet, alongside Jason Crow, Democrat from Colorado, Army vet, talking about how to restore civility to American politics. And I think we would all like more civility oh, in American politics. Oh, absolutely. That's going to be a great show this Sunday. Face the Nation. Moderator Margaret Brennan joining us every Friday. Margaret, thank you. Thank you. In the nation's northwest corner, 
Our resident historian, Felix Bedell, now joining us Friday mornings for All Over the Map. It's a quick look at stories behind local places and things. And this week, with uh, yesterday's blustery wind, top of mind, the highest wind speeds ever recorded in the Evergreen State. It was near a small town in Pacific County more than 60 years ago, and it happened twice during two separate storms. Yes, unbelievable. And what great timing with the weather yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to thank our good friend of the show, Lee Corbin, for his brilliant research assistance on this story. So it is windstorm season, my favorite time of year, and we Mm -hmm. always talk about that 1962 Columbus Day storm. I'm glad Ted is here for this. It's often mentioned that the highest wind speed recorded in Washington took place at a Cold War-era Air Force radar station across the river from Astoria. That highest wind speed was a gust of 161 (gasps) miles per hour. Isn't that crazy? Location's called Radar Ridge. It's not far from the small town of Nacelle. We'll talk about the pronunciation in just a moment. Now, that 161-mile-per-hour reading didn't only happen in 1962 on Columbus Day. It also happened 65 years ago this very night. Really? November 3rd, 1958. Another mostly forgotten big storm blew through the Northwest. It wasn't as destructive, but it did result in two deaths from fallen power lines in Pierce County. Mm. Now, the Air Force radar station that recorded those identical wind speeds four years apart, it was only in operation for about 15 years, from 1950 to 1965. And that explains why we don't get weather reports from there anymore and haven't for 58 years. You know, this just in. (laughs) Now, Radar Ridge is about 2,200 feet above sea level. It's just a few miles north of the Columbia River near the mouth, so it's an exposed spot. In fact, Lewis and Clark camped along the river near there and got pinned down by a windstorm on November 22nd, 1805. What? How do you know that? Well, that's when William Clark wrote in his journal, Oh, how horrible is the day. Clark was not a good speller. He was very (laughs) erratic. He would spell something one way and then a paragraph later be spelled totally different. Times were tough. Yeah. <laughs> now, about the pronunciation of nacelle, the pronunciation guide published by WSU in the 1960s put the emphasis, puts the emphasis on the second syllable, nacelle. Yeah. But when I called about six different businesses there yesterday, the consensus was the opposite. Huh? Coffee shop owner Hannah Sooth, well, she set me straight. Am I saying it? Is, it, is there emphasis on the first syllable? Is it nacelle or nacelle? Nacelle. So are you emphasizing the first syllable or the second syllable? Um, I Probably, the, I think the first. Nacelle. Yeah. Okay. Probably, now, I think, the first? It's, it's very subtle. Okay, now the old place name books that I have say the name Nacelle is of Chinook origin. So I reached out to Tony Johnson. He's chairman of the Chinook Indian Nation. He was born in the Willapa Bay area and has studied Chinook language most of his life. It does come from a uh, Chinook word, Nacelle. So that's the original word. Okay, so the meaning of that word has been lost in time, Chairman Johnson told me, but it was long considered the place name for the valley where modern-day Nacelle is situated. Now, he also told me that the fast-moving air atop Radar Ridge is, of course, nothing new. Chinook people, for time immemorial, would move into the Nacelle area in the winter for shelter from the winds coming off the nearby river. It runs up over Bear River Ridge straight off to Columbia, skips right over that really beautiful protected valley that we're speaking about, and then hits an even higher you know, piece of land right behind it, which is the site that you're talking about. So again, the modern name, as Hannah Sooth says it, is pronounced... Nacelle. Hmm. The, the historic original name, according to Tony Johnson from the Chinook Indian Nation... Nacelle. Okay. Now, I'd love to hear from our listeners. So it's, very, it's very subtle, because it's, it's, there's nacelle which is what the, the old guide says, or nacelle, which nacelle. is what the current residents of nacelle, or nacelle actually say. So um, you know, when that radar station closed down 50 years ago or more, they turned it into the nacelle youth camp, which was a, a juvenile facility. That's just closed in the last year. 
And you can actually hike to the top of Radar Ridge or drive up there. It's on state DNR land, so you can go see all this. And there's a great view of Willapa Bay from there. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I always love to Google the places you talk about. They had an, a population explosion between uh, the 2010 and 2020 census <laughs> from 419 people to 585. That is a pretty big explosion. So, thriving yeah, like thriving 30, metropolis. Yeah, there's crazy. a shell yeah. station, a high school, and an inn. And no matter how you pronounce it, it's a great place to be. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Felix. I'm Colleen O'Brien. A year ago, the new crisis hotline launched in our state. It's 988. You can call it. You can text it. And since the change from an 11-digit telephone number to the easier-to-remember three-digit number, calls have increased 40%. There is a need out there, and that's why we called up Lonnie Peterson, 988 Crisis Systems Manager. Lonnie, thank you for joining us. Can you explain that 40% increase through any reason? The increase probably has changed from the number that you have, actually, um, which is kind of how things work with the crisis line a little bit. Um, it kind of ebbs and flows throughout the year. And so it's it's a little bit hard to predict if we'll see a, you know, a steady increase. Sometimes it may go down a little bit um, and back up. But nonetheless, we've definitely seen a steady growth, which is great. And I think it really underlines the need for this service and the importance of the work. Um, so people can contact the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by phone, text, or chat. Um, and since it launched um, nationwide back in and in, in our state back in July of 2022, um, and in the, in the year since launch, we've seen our calls increase. And I won't give you percentages here, but I'll, I can give you like the raw numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, in in July 2022, for example, we had about six thousand, just under six thousand calls. In September 2023, which is the most current um, data that we have, we had almost seven thousand calls. So you can see that's a pretty big increase within just one year. Texts have increased as well. So we had about 340 texts in July 2022. Um, And in September, we um, just saw 1,726 texts. So that's a huge increase, which is great. And then chats have increased as well. Um, So in July 2022, we had about uh, just over 350 chats um, to nearly 900 in September of this year. So we're definitely seeing steady growth. Would you chalk that up to the, you know, we hear all the time about growing number of people, teens especially needing mental health support. We just got through a global pandemic. Stress is at an all-time high, or is it simply because you shortened it to a three-digit 988? I think both. I think the the three-digit number is definitely easier for people to remember um, and access. So I think that's definitely played into it. And I do think just getting more awareness, not only about 988 and and what it can offer people um, in our state and across the country, but just getting awareness out there about mental health um, and kind of decreasing the stigma around it and that it's okay to, to reach out if you're in crisis or if you need help. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a big misconception is that you only call this number if you're feeling suicidal. But that's not all this line. It can help people with a lot of things, including just loneliness or U.S. Surgeon General calling loneliness a societal epidemic. So what exactly should people use this number for? Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely not just for people who are um, in suicidal crisis. So um, you can you can contact the, the lifeline again through uh, call, chat or text. Um, if you're having thoughts of suicide, that's definitely still you know something you should you should contact the lifeline for. But if you're having any kind of mental health crises or a substance use concern or really any other emotional distress, um, you can contact the 988 lifeline 
You can also contact the Lifeline if you're worried about a loved one who may need crisis support. And a lot of people don't realize that either, but that's an option for sure. I wish I had thought of this when I was going through postpartum depression with both of my children. I I imagine so many parents out there need a line like this, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's it's the nice thing about the 98 Lifeline is they, you know, they can help the the person that's contacting um, in the way that person needs it, whatever that may be. Um, but then they can, at, like, at the end of the call, um, if and when it's appropriate, they can also give people resources to other um, lines that may be helpful. So that I know there's a line specifically for um, pregnant and postpartum people um, and things like that. So it's also a way to get help when you need it in that moment, but then also to be able to be connected to other resources that may be beneficial to that person. Right. I was reading about the the friendship line, resources for veterans, LGBTQ plus uh, people, both youth and adults, Native American support. I mean, this really sounds like a, a catch-all system for the behavioral health crisis we're facing right now in our country. Well, I imagine around the world, but specifically in America, it just never seems like we have enough, enough mental health support or treatments centers. Yeah, absolutely. And you can actually access um, the Veterans Crisis Line, um, the Spanish Language Line, the LGBTQ plus line for youth. And in Washington, specifically, um, the Native and Strong Lifeline, you can access all four of those lines through 988, which is amazing as well. So you don't have to remember another number. You can get there through 988 as well. That is incredible. Lonnie Peterson, she's a crisis systems manager for our uh, crisis lifeline, 988. You can call it and be sent to other resources, too. It's not just for if you're feeling suicidal or having suicidal ideation. It can be used for uh, many reasons to seek help. Lonnie, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. 737 now. Your daily dose of kindness is brought to you by Robert W. Baird. Some automotive tech students at a high school in Virginia have been working to fix up a car all year. It's part of their curriculum, but also they wanted to surprise a single mother with six kids. The students gave the car to Michelle Mendez last week. We changed someone's life. It's just a great feeling to, let some, to give someone a car. And Mendez tells affiliate, NBC affiliate, WVIR-TV, the gift is life-changing. They've really been helping me. And to get this car is just a blessing. This has been hard as a single mom. And I really appreciate everything everybody's done to make this happen. Mendez says she's lived out of hotels before she got into Journey Home, an organization that helps to end homelessness. Before I got there, I was struggling and I really needed them. I needed the help. And it's been just amazing. She says the car has lifted a weight off her shoulders by giving her the ability to take her kids to places they need to go, school, doctor's appointments, you name it, and get to and from work. To be able to, you know, take the kids where they need to go and, you know, be able to get back and forth to work so I can do the things that I need to do. Casey Hollins works for Rappahannock Electric Cooperative and awarded $10,200 in help to get that car going. She says she'll be able to help Mendez as well. I was also a single mom, so I can completely relate to what this mom's needs are, and it's it's a really moving experience. Eddie Brown is a former single father. He created, and his uh, with his wife, giving words, making a difference for single mothers. The component that I look at is just the hope uh, and just seeing that in her eyes as she received this car and just the excitement uh, and, and what it means for her boys, too. I hope that they, you know, are happy about what they've done and, you know, grateful that it gets to go to somebody who's really going to 
appreciate it and use it. All those people coming together for that mother. Very great. 747 on Seattle's Morning News. Welcoming G. Scott to the studio from the G and Ursula shows weekdays, 9 to noon here on Cairo News Radio. How are things going? They're good. You it's and good. Ursula? Good morning. Good yeah. morning. Everything's great. Show's great. Looking forward to Fresh Fridays mm. on the G and Ursula show. Yep. What do you do special on Fresh Fridays? Well, uh, the music is hitting a lot more. The energy is there. Uh, the topics we try to make a little bit lighter. We try mm. to have a little fun. We try to keep the energy up. Keep that Fresh Friday. Friday's deal going. You guys so, are fun. Well, well, thank you. Yeah, you and Ursula. Bolton. I mean, you know, sometimes they're the, the news, right? Like you yeah. can't cover that. But I like to think, and I try to. If you, when I was younger, when my mama would make me eat broccoli, <laughs> you got to have your broccoli, right? Let me get some cheese on it. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to do. Yeah, I try to put the cheese on the broccoli. You do a great job, and you have great listeners, too. You guys interact so much with listeners, and uh, not to say Seattle's Morning News isn't great as well, but, you know, when you're covering the news, sometimes the text messages get a little intense. It helps the day go by faster, and it's like just hanging out with a family, so I'll be texting back and forth Yeah, Well, I'm great. Our shows butt up against one another, because you guys are fun, and we get to talk about the Seahawks taking on the, the, I I read, red-hot Baltimore Ravens. Why are they so hot? They're good. Why are they so hot? Because they, in my opinion, have the best quarterback in all of football in Lamar Jackson. Mm. He's really good. He's a, by the way, he was a former MVP. Uh, He's, he's really good. The Seahawks right now, this will be the seventh meeting all time between the Baltimore Ravens and Seattle Seahawks right now. So far, they've already played six. It's three and three Mm -hmm. Ravens won three Seahawks won three. Not only do I believe that uh, Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in football, I think their new offensive coordinator really has them playing really well. They also have some new additions to the team. You guys heard of Odell Beckham? Mm-hmm. He is now a wide receiver on that team. They have this new rookie. If the Seahawks wouldn't have picked up Jackson Smith and Jigba and they were looking for a rookie wide receiver, the Ravens have a receiver by the name of Zay Flowers. He's really good. Played at Boston College. Can play some football. So you got that going on. But anyways, this Baltimore Ravens team is 6-2. and two. The Seahawks are 5-2. and two. This team is very complete. They play really good offense. They play really good defense. And their special teams is really good. Super they Bowl got contender? Great, absolutely. Really? No, no doubt about it. So this is a, this is a test for the Seahawks. They are going out. It's a 10 a.m. game here. So if you're listening right now, make sure y'all get y'all rest. Also, I want to remind you that the clocks fall back this Sunday. Mm-hmm. All right? So make sure all your pottying is done, all that kind of stuff. So just so you know, the game starts early on Sunday. G, one matchup that I am looking towards is specifically you were talking about this Ravens offense versus Seattle's defense. And one, I mean, Seattle's defense has been really stout all year, specifically against the run. They've been really good. They now have this new defensive lineman, Leonard Williams. What how is that matchup, do you think, going to play out? I think the the Seahawks look like they are going to be really good at stopping the run. Lamar Jackson obviously can throw the ball, but one of the major attacks that he has is his running game. How is that matchup going to play out, do you think? The Seahawks got experience right now on the mm-hmm. D-line, right? Uh, and, Colleen, as you know, in our profession, you can do this for a while, but the be- the more you do this, the better you become mm-hmm. at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, the Seahawks have Jaron Reed, 
They just brought back Frank Clark, mm-hmm. right? And now they add Leonard Williams, who we talked about earlier this week, this right. week, who has already come in, practiced, acclimated. Team loves him. He loves them. It's kumbaya. They hug. They dancing on social media. They dancing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that matchup in which you're talking about, bringing in Leonard Williams is going to help right away. You, you think back. right away he's going to have an impact? Great. Yeah, right away. Mm, uh, my man, the defensive coordinator calls him Big Cadillac back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's big. It, Leonard Williams. Yeah, I think man, it was like 6'5", almost six, 300 pounds. Absolutely. Like it, you, you think that's big? And he's got nice feet. <laughs> I do remember you saying that. I heard that line. That he's got <laughs> nice feet. Great feet. And Great he's feet. motivated. He wants to do well. Yeah, he's absolutely. A, look, I mean, you know, he left, he left for marriage that wasn't wasn't going right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Colleen, he was with the Giants. And, you know That's they right. was they was you know they, they wasn't was a good match. They was behind on their bills every month. <laughs> <laughs> so so now he comes over to a situation where they got good credit, stability, <laughs> stability. Yeah. The roof ain't falling off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Leonard Williams is happy to be here. Who's Colleen? the prettiest, shiniest team? I feel like the Seahawks have just gobs of money. They've got a great practice facility. Lumen Field is gorgeous. And yeah. almost brand new. Yeah. Are they the shiniest, prettiest team in the league? Uh, I think they have the shiniest culture ah, in the league. Okay. As far as like, uh, I would say the shiniest right now. But uh, everything that looks good isn't always good. Might be the Raiders in Las Vegas because mm-hmm. that stadium is incredible. Of, it's Vegas and SoFi mm-hmm. in LA. That stadium is incredible where the Chargers and the Rams play. Yeah. So. And, and by the way, I love to give regular analogies. Just because somebody looks good yes. don't mean that they are good. And that's my point. I yeah. feel like the Seahawks are a good team along with a beautiful stadium and a nice training facility. Uh-huh. They're the shiniest and the prettiest, right? They are. They got there good personality. Go. That's right. <laughs> yes. There's a lot to say about a sense Seattle of humor. Seattle Seahawks will win this game. They're going to win this game on the road. I think it's going to be 31 Ooh. to 27. You, that's your score every week. <laughs> I should just have a montage of G's scores, honestly. All right. Little shoulder tap there for G. Thank you so much. You can listen to G and Ursula starting at 9 o'clock here on Cairo News Radio. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you will never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.